0: Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Twisted Fairy Fairytale series and co-founder of Mojave. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not-so-happy path in your career, I want to help you dig through the weeds and get to the roots of what may be holding you back from growing and succeeding in your industry. The mindset when you have to overcome when things don't go your way. So join me, In the Woods. hey guys welcome to in the woods i'm james woods aka william moore the author of sparrow's valley and the twisted fairy tale series and co-founder of majavi if you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not so happy path in your career join me in the woods uh today i have a very very special guest uh stelios please keep me honest if i'm saying this correctly Kara constantis
1: Perfect. That, that Perfect. was great. That
0: was great. <laughs> so me, and, <laughs> that was me and Stelios is kind of crazy. We go back over a decade now. Uh, yeah. You were actually my, yep. I, I took martial arts, my, my entire career. I mean, my entire life from little, I did uh Kota Bushikai, Karate do Kempo. Then I did Taekwondo. Then when I was working with you, I was doing white uh, tiger Kenpo. And then I, yep was trained under uh, Sifu, uh, Edward Wong, and Bak Me Kung Fu. But you were, I would have to say my favorite instructor. Oh. I mean, the countless battles. Oh yeah, absolutely. The countless, oh, uh, sparring-, right. <laughs> the countless uh, sparring battles you and me had were in my opinion legendary. I used to always be excited <laughs> to go to class.
1: Um,
0: so, so Stelios has a very decorated past in martial arts from Taekwondo to Kempo. Uh, you were educated, trained, uh, school in China, uh, in Greece. I know, you know, a little bit of Mandarin, which kind of blew Mm -hmm. me away at the time. And you were actually, I've, I've had several personal trainers in my life and you were one of the only personal trainers that I stayed consistent with. I'll put it that way. And we used to always have conversations where I was like, "Why are you? Why am I paying for you to put me through pain?" So <laughs>
1: well, that so was always you, the thing, right? Because you would call me crazy, and I'm like, "Well, <laughs> you're the one paying me for this." So <laughs> yeah, it's a two way street, yeah. Uh, no, but so. it was it was
0: awesome. I mean, you you you're very trained, very skilled, very educated in what you do from the physiological side, from the science side. Uh, I have trained with you for over a year, and I can honestly say you and I never did the same routine twice so right. my body stayed in a sore position which I thought was I was like isn't this aren't I supposed to kind of get over this eventually
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's a perpetual state of pain uh, but good pain not bad pain obviously oh no absolutely yeah. I, I was in the
0: best shape of my life when I was working with you and when you know things happened I ended up moving very far away so I, I just couldn't make it anymore I, I, I was a little it, it was it was a dark moment that I, I, I'd i lost my the personal trainer that had definitely given me all these results.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I definitely missed you as a client as well. So I was, you know, it was. And uh, even
0: outside of that, you were very motivational because I remember uh, it's the Ironman competition, correct?
1: Oh, uh, the, the Spartan race. We did. Oh, the Spartan race. That's what it was.
0: So in a yes. Spartan race, I remember uh, when I would train with you. I don't know if it was that year or the year before you were going, it was something called the triple, some triple thread or yeah, the, the trifecta. The yeah. trifecta. And mm-hmm. you were that close, but it was for the, the, the monster one. It, it had rained that day. And you yeah. actually, and you, you, you were literally borderline frostbitten.
1: And yeah. basically
0: they had you, you were telling me you had to, uh, grab a rod or something
1: yeah it it was really bad so this was uh you know in the beginning of my I guess you could say um career in terms of like races like that and uh you know that this was being done in Vermont. It was very cold that day uh it was raining um I think I was sixteen miles in on Mount Killington and uh there was there's there's a part where you have to swim uh, pr- pretty far. And uh, I'm really not that good of a swimmer, so I had to like hold on to this rope and pull. They had like a rope out, like so people wouldn't drown. Um, and if you if you didn't finish it uh, quick enough, you had to do thirty burpees when you when you got out. And this is in the mud because it's it's raining. And I'm doing my burpees, and they they just came off. Uh, one of I guess like the uh, I guess like the judges, and like hey like you're done. I'm like no, I'm fine. they like you're done. So then like, as soon as he said that, it it was crazy. Like I felt my my body just started to, uh, to break down, um, because, you know, I had done, um, two other races within two months before that. So my, my body was pretty, pretty beat up. So it really was a learning experience. So yeah, they had me, they're like, we think you might be like, like pre-hypothermic. So they gave me like the tinfoil, uh, um, blanket, uh, Then they started like poking my toe with a pencil. I couldn't feel my toes. Then they were like, okay, like, can you like grab like my, my hand, like my, my fist? I couldn't, and I'm like, yeah, I can. And they're like, no, no, like you need to like show me you can do it. And like, I couldn't close my hands. Um, I was, I lost all like pigmentation. Um, It was, it was pretty bad. Like I couldn't, I had no sensation uh, in any of my fingertips and my, uh, my toes. So they had to like, say like, you're, you're done. Like, that's it. Oh, and wow. that that race was really what was really funny about that race because it wasn't just so. There's the regular Spartan race. I think it's called the uh, the sprint. The sprint. Yes. Then there's the super. Then there's the super, which is harder. Then there's the beast. That's the one uh, you would doing, uh, my, right? My, Yeah, but there's the Beast and then there's the competitive Beast, which is even harder than the regular Beast, which I didn't know my friends, um, I didn't realize that was the one we were doing. I thought it was all the Beast ones were the same. And uh, yeah, that was a bad day. (laughs) I I can honestly say that was one of the worst days um, of my life. Like I was messed up for like uh, a couple weeks after that. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I had a really yeah, so that was um lesson learned that day.
0: <laughs> so now you you've actually embarked in I I could almost say is an unorthodox industry. You know, most people have a nine yeah. to five, uh most people, mm-hmm. you know, they work from you know Monday to Friday. You were in you were a martial arts um sensei instructor, and then you opened mm-hmm. up Shredcore, uh your your own mm-hmm. gym. I know that was a very um important and next step, uh, endeavor for yourself and w- where you, where you are now. But when you first started, when you were going to school, I know you uh, studied abroad in China and you were training. Was this something that you were expecting? Cause I know you didn't go to school for, for training or being in, you know, working in a gym. How did you initio, initially begin your career or was it right. something that you just kind of fell into?
1: Yeah. So it, it was actually, um, it's really, it's, it's a crazy story. It was completely almost by accident. So, you know, I kind of grew up in a household where I was told, listen, you're going to be either a doctor or a lawyer or you're, you know, you're a piece of trash, right? <laughs> like that, like those, like those were my options. So I picked the law route and, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, taking a lot of pre-law classes, you know, th- through Adelphi. Um, I was a history um, and a Asian studies major. So, um, because with law, you know, you can kind of, you can kind of major in anything. Um, so that was like my route. Like I really thought I was going to do the, the law thing. And, uh, but, but even with that, fitness has always been a part of my life since three years old. I've always played sports. I've always, I've been doing sports, martial arts. I've coached, uh, teams. I was like you said, I was, I was teaching martial arts for a very long time. Um. So it's always been a passion of mine. Those those are my roots. That was my outlet growing up. It saved me. But for whatever reason, I think I, I guess m- my generation, the, the fitness industry at that time had a very bad stigma. And honestly, I don't blame them. So, you know, who were the trainers back then? It was the meatheads that were on steroids, you know, pick things up, put them down, uh, working in, <laughs> right? working in these disgusting gyms, filthy, making no money. Um, then the general managers were, you know, um, also trash, uh, treating their staff like, you know, like garbage. Um, and there were really no like small boutique gyms either. So this is, you know, this is pre-CrossFit. This is pre-Orange Theory, all these other, uh, things. So all the only option you really had as a trainer was you maybe go to someone's house, do your own thing, or you work at like a Gold's or a Synergy or like an Equinox type of thing. Uh, a big box gym. So that's kind of why I took the law route. So I tried that. That did not work out. That was a, <laughs> that was a, that was a huge mistake. I'm like, I can't sit at a desk and, and push papers all day. And, and not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, I was like, th- this is not me. Um, so what happened was I'm like, you know what? Let me go back to my roots. So after the law thing failed miserably, I, um, I, uh, I, I started working for, uh, Equinox. Um, I was in park city, uh, the, uh, park Avenue in the city for a little bit. And then I was in, uh, I was in Woodbury and, uh, I was like, wow, okay, this is, uh, this is, this is different than what was going on. So the fitness industry really went through this crazy change within the, from when I was in high school, and then a couple years after college and things started to change. I was like, wow, like there's trainers here that have like a, you know, they have like a college degree and it's not the same type of vibe that you would, that, that you would see. It was a little bit more professional. And then there was the science aspect, right? Which always fascinated me. But at, I really wasn't a trainer there. I was more in like a managing position. I was doing memberships. I was doing marketing, a little bit of everything. So I was like, okay, cool. So I I ended up leaving that organization um, because it was too corporate for me. Um, I I just again, not me um, in terms of the vibe. So then I started uh, I went back to my martial arts background and, you know, I had worked for them before all throughout high school and college. I'm like, let me go back. So I took more of a manager position there where I was helping run three of the 10 schools uh, that that owner had. Uh, so I was in Hicksville, I was in Farmingdale, right. um, and in Franklin square out of Long Island. And I was like, cool, I'm going to be the karate person now. You know what? This is my thing. I have a lot of success with this. I love doing it. I love coaching people. I love the process. And, uh, you know, I'm out of college now, you know, you, you, you go out, you party, you go to bars, you go to clubs. So I had a friend who, um, was a, was a student uh, get trying to get his masters. His masters for teaching. He's like, dude, listen, I'm broke. I'm a student. I'm fat. I'm, I'm disgusting. I hate myself. You, you gotta help me. You're in shape. I know you do the karate thing. Can you help me? I was like, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'll do. Like, I'm not really a train. Goes well. Like, you told me you work out at the dojo. You work at like after hours on your own. Can I just hop in with you? So I'm like, all right. So the guy ends up losing like 80 pounds, right? Oh, wow. Right. Within like, I would say seven or eight months, completely changed his life. He had never exercised before, had no background, right? So then, you know, we start going out, he starts telling people, and then more people start joining that. It was like a 9.30 p.m. little group thing that we were doing out of the dojo, then they started referring people. So I was like, okay, cool. So I started doing like a little side business under the under the dose. So I would teach karate all day, and then I would have this little side thing. I still at this point have no idea what's developing in the background. Zero idea. Because again, remember, trainers, you know, this is again the stigma, right? Trainers are dumb, they're poor, uh, they're idiots, they're they're disgusting, they're on steroids, you know, that. So um then I'm like, oh, um, Let me let me start. Let me let me start pursuing this a little bit more. So I went I went back to school. I went to Hofstra. Um, I got my certification. Um, and then I'm like, all right, I need. Uh, I think I'm going to start pursuing this. I find this really interesting because I kept hearing when I was teaching karate. I love your workout Stell. That was a great workout. Oh man, I was sore. I loved it. So I'm like, all right, let me, let me try this. Um, because what was happening with the, with the, with the dojo, um, you know, dojos are only open for like four hours a day. Most right. of
0: them, Correct. right Correct. After work.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, let me, let me start pursuing this. So my, my, the owner at the time didn't want me training people there. So I'm like, okay. So I started uh, training people out of my car, house to house. Everywhere from, you know, uh, like borderline Queens to out East. So I was literally all over the island. I was sleeping in my car some days, um, skipping a lot of meals. I didn't have time to eat. I mean, it was a a nightmare, but I built some really good – Uh, clients there and i was like wow this is really starting to pick up so i go back to my boss i'm like listen i built up a clientele let me pay your rent and i'll start training people out of the dojo on off hours so i literally was training people from five this is what this is how it would go i would train people starting at 5 a.m all the way to 2 p.m Okay, out of the Franklin Square Dojo. I would leave the Franklin Square Dojo, go to the Hicksville Dojo, teach classes there from uh, 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Leave the Hicksville Dojo, come back to the Franklin Square Dojo, and then train people from 9 o'clock, I am not kidding you, to midnight. And I did that for a whole year. One thing, the whole people.
0: Year. one thing that I can definitely say about you, no one could def- no one could deny your work ethic. Just never just they can't. What was there? Was there something from your childhood or from college or after that you kind of developed that or it kind of goes back to that question of nature or nurture? Was that something right. that was just a part of you or is that something yeah. that it, it was a decision?
1: Yeah. So um, growing up, um, I grew up with a single mother. Dad was not in the house, uh, left when I was six months old, no child support, nothing. And uh, I had no, I had never met him. And this was really, I think one of the most defining moments of my life where um, I had, you know, and growing up, you know, watching your mother work and your grandparents work all day, every day for you. I just felt like a liability I know they didn't feel that way about me. But for me, looking from the outside, I felt like such a liability. I felt so helpless and so useless because, like, you know, you're a kid. You know, how do you financially help your parents when you're in third grade and fourth grade? You can't, right? So watching that and seeing how hard they had to work um, for someone else, also, um, and to hear how the dynamic was in their workplace and how much of an impact they had when they came home, um, that, that really, that really stuck with me. And then what ended up happening was I was 18. I got an email from, uh, my half sister who at the time I didn't even know I had, um, on MySpace, um, saying, Hey, look, um, I know you don't know who I am. I'm your, I'm your half sister. Um, I want you to actually meet with our father. I know you haven't spoken to him. He hasn't spoken to you. And uh, I think you guys should, I, I want you guys to, to speak. I kind of want to have, so she wanted us to have a relationship. So I didn't know how to feel about, I like, like, oh my God, this is, this is 18 years with, right. So I'm like, what the, what is going on? So I meet up with him. Uh, She set it up. I meet up with him at a Starbucks in Franklin Square, right on Franklin Avenue. I'll never forget this. And uh, I sit down with him. I didn't even know it was him when he walked in. I I had no idea. So, because I've I've never seen him. So, we sat down and I said to him, listen, before I – I have a lot of assumptions, but before I go in, before I even – because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty angry, right? Because this guy provided nothing. Like, we suffered. We had – my family always provided for me. Don't get me wrong. There was always food on the table. There was always a roof over my head. But it was extremely difficult. It was really, really hard. It, it, I don't know how – till this day, I don't know how I did it. But anyway, as soon as I met with my, my dad, I'm like, listen, like, why did you leave? And, like, if you left, like, look, I could kind of get around. Maybe the marriage didn't work out. But, like, why didn't you – Provide for me and my mom, like, find, like anything. So he said, Listen, as far as I'm concerned, I did my job as a parent. I raised your sister. She's a doctor. I don't, he goes, I don't love you. I can't, I, I don't love you. You're nothing to me. You're worthless. I'm literally here because your sister made me. And I'm, and I'm, and I just wanted to like shut her up but I, I don't love you. You're worthless. You're nothing to me. And thank God I had martial arts training to kind of control, I think what most people's initial reaction to that would be. But long story short, when I left that Starbucks, I left a completely different person. So I think to kind of long answer to your, to your question, that was really the two things that drove me. I wanted to make myself so financially stable and autonomous and, you know, independent that I would be able to take care of my family and myself and kind of almost prove to my uh, myself that I wasn't that. So I think that's that's where that came from.
0: That's crazy. You I I never knew this part about you, but we have very similar stories. My father, I knew him until I was three years old and then. Not going to get into it, but he left. Uh, So around, so I went through the same thing, single, you know, mother, I mean, uh, you know, single parent household. My mother actually worked overnight my entire life at the post office. And she, I I spoke to her later and she said she took that job so that she could be there for me during the day. So when I say my mother never slept properly, like I meant it because she put me, as a kid I was pretty troubled. Uh not troubled bored, I would say. So I was always sure. in fights, I had a very short temper. So that's yeah, why my mom oh, that's why my mom originally put me in martial arts because in yep. first grade they actually tried to keep me back. I had straight A's but I had an F in conduct. So they said I wasn't <laughs> mentally stable oh. enough to go to the second grade. Wow. So my mom was like, "You know, get out of here with that." So that's why I went, ended up training martial arts with uh Eric O'Neill, who's a seven time world champion, like guy was a monster. And I saw my mom when I say work, I, I totally understand what you're saying. So yeah. when throughout school, my sole purpose was I didn't want my mom to pay for my college. I didn't want mom to pay for mm-hmm. anything because I know how much she sacrificed to put me in the high school I went to because she yeah. never put me in public school. She put me in private school my whole life. So I mean, even to this day, I'm friends with teachers and it's almost like my high school is a fraternity. And so when I went to college, I ended up getting a co-op position. So I went to school six months, worked six months, but I got college credit for it. So she didn't have to pay for it. When my brother went to college, I worked extra hard so I could help pay for my brother's college. Because my thing was when my mother um, received the opportunity to retire from Katrina, from the post office, early retirement, (laughs) Right, I knew that that wasn't going to be enough to kind of suffice for everything, and I didn't want my mother to. I wanted her to enjoy retirement. Like she would worked so hard. Oh. So, was, you're not paying for my son. I mean, my brother. You're not paying for me. If you need any help, let me know. I know both of us have an ego where it's, I don't want to ask anyone for help. So I just had to take the initiative. But same thing happened with me and my father. But he was different. Where I found my sister on Facebook. Uh, so my brother and sister, I'm part Native American. So my sister and my brother have a very uncommon name. My sister's White Feather, and my brother's Black Cloud. So for many years, I would go on Facebook and MySpace trying to find them because I received a letter from my dad in third grade, uh, stating, you know, I'm sorry for everything. You know, I'm he was in prison uh, for for something. And he was going to get out. But when he got out, we couldn't, you know, we never got a hold of each other. But in the letter, she told me about my half-sister, Whitefeather. And two years ago, I actually found, she opened a Facebook account, and I found her on Facebook. And when I was looking through her friends, I saw James D. Woods. And I was like, wait, no, can't be. So I ended up contacting her, and she was like, is this Junior? And I was like, yeah. It was like, is this? Because... How many white feather woods are there in the world? Yeah, like, how many? yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but in my situation, my father literally passed away six months before I found him. So I never got the chance to have that conversation to see how he felt or why he didn't reach out or why, you know, I, I just never got that. Uh, but, you know, I heard a lot of good things about him. He changed drastically. He became a pastor. Like he completely changed from what I knew about him from the past, but I definitely understand. I believe that that's a a huge part of my circumstance of why I work so hard, but I I can definitely understand.
1: I I think it kind of goes back to this concept where like responsibility is taken. It's not given. Right. Because look, anyone can say, this is your responsibility to do, to do X, you know, whatever that might be, but it's ultimately up to you to go and physically take it and then, yes. and then, run with, um, you know, so, so that, yeah, so that that's kind of where my mind was always at, and whether that's healthy or not i I don't know, um, it got me it this can't. far, okay <laughs> yeah, it can't, yeah, so um so yeah, that's that that was really how that was kind of the fuel, um it was just a lot of anger, frustration, um. Yeah. Anger and frustration. That was kind of fueling. Would you say
0: that, that the martial arts was I know you, you kind of brought it up when you were speaking about the conversation with your father and the martial arts kind of gave you that discipline or that that level of calmness. Mm-hmm. Were there any other things that you would say that kind of uh, molded you to, to, to who you are? No martial arts had a big part about it. Uh, and you're working. I mean, it was a huge transition. You went from law to mm-hmm martial arts and training Mm -hmm. a lot of people will go into a career and they'll decide this isn't for me and then they have a point where they have to pivot and decide they want to do something else that they may be passionate about that they might have found out about later in life what advice would you kind of give to someone who has reached a point where it's like you know what this is as far as i can go with it or this isn't something i can enjoy Let me do something else. But I know if I decide to do something else, it's definitely going to be difficult because I have to relearn everything.
1: I think I think to answer your question, I think the big problem that a lot of people run into is that we always tend to identify with our work. I mean, you ask anyone like, what are you? I'm a firefighter. What are you? I'm a doctor. I'm an accountant. And I I think I got tired of the recipe that my my. That my friends and maybe my family made for me, and I stopped. I stopped worrying about who I wanted to be, and I started focusing more on what I wanted to actually do. And I think that's you have to really figure out what you want to do, because in doing you become, right? Right. Absolutely. So, and I think going back to the martial arts thing, the thing that really got me interested and kept me interested with the martial arts was the camaraderie and the culture yes that was manifested Th- this camaraderie this you know this mutual suffering this hardship that creates friendship uh this-, this goal-oriented meritocracy type of thing I mean I mean' you know like I I have friends that I have met there that I started with at white belt <laughs> stuck together all the way to our, our black belt test, which was like almost seven hours long. I think it was seven hours long. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, like that type of relationship that you have when you physically express, um, what's going on with yourself. Right. Because there, everyone's facade, all the layers start to peel away very quickly. You get to see who people really are when someone else's well-being and your own also is 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 on the line, right? So that was really kind of what um I liked about that the martial arts I think I think the most. And that's kind of what helped me mold me for the type of culture that I had in my gym uh that I have in my gym now. For sure.
0: That's crazy how you say that because I have this philosophy that I tell everyone wherever I work, whatever company I start anything that I do. I want to train and mentor the people that I work with so that they can leave, but I want to treat them so that it never even crosses their mind to leave. Right. So Absolutely. I never really thought about that perspective from all the martial arts that I have and you know, it's friendship through trial and fire. Yeah. That every place that I've gone to, I've, I've received this question before at all the different companies I go to, I know we had this conversation before, um, what what do you feel is the difference between why you get promoted to, you know, in my case, a tech lead or a software architect or like the head guy in a specific company not very long after I start these careers? And I tell everyone, every place that I've ever worked at, I have never been the best developer there. Never. There's always someone on my team who could wipe the floor with me from the technical aspect. Right. But it's. In regards to developing culture in regards to the people skills and working with other people and bringing people together and making sure that the project gets done in a smooth uh smooth manner and in a timely basis those skill sets have definitely been cultivated and ingrained in me from martial arts because i used to train at uh at the uh, the first two schools that that i that i trained in in taekwondo and kodobushi kai and there's definitely a a certain part of your personality that you have to develop if you don't have it it's basically they 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 teach you how and train you to become a leader Mm -hmm. uh to, to to not believe that it's all about you and barking orders but no understanding that everyone has their own way of doing things and you have to learn other people's personalities and figure out exactly what each individual person needs and sure. I carried that over into my business career and I know you definitely did that uh, in your gym because when you and I work out I know for a fact that because I I saw it there were people that would come in and some people were further along than me some people were not as far along as I was so we would do similar workouts sometimes and sometimes we did totally different workouts because you took the time and effort to actually work and get to know each one of your your clients who became your friends and understand what they needed and what were those things that actually motivated them to actually get the results that they needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, I think that, you know, the more capable you become, the more opportunity it creates. Yes. And I think the people don't really realize that how deep you actually have to go into something in order to truly understand it, because things lead to other, to other things. Um, and I think people are extremely apprehensive to kind of do that because they I, I think we're all at the end of the day. We are all, we, I think everyone has a little bit of doubt. I don't care if you're the most confident person in the world, but at the end of the day, the confrontation is what leads to the understanding, right? Um, and, and that's, that was really, that was the crossroad that I was at that pivot. I was like, okay, I have this financially stable situation at the dojo. I'm being, you know, every, you know, I'm I'm making money. Um, it's, it's great. I'm all, and even when I was working at Equinox, uh, look, I had health benefits, I had a steady paycheck, I had the whole thing and I had to literally risk all that and give it all up. And in my head, I was like, you know what if if I fail, it's my fault. And it wasn't meant it wasn't meant to be. So if I really want this, here here it is. this is this is the opportunity for me to make this happen and and that's what happened. I went back to my boss. I was like, hey, let me, rent the place out. I did that for a year. And then I literally, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but I emptied out my entire bank account and opened up Shredcore on 8 New High Park Road in Franklin Square, 700 square feet by myself with no investors, no loans, just me, myself and I, that was it.
0: I think that's the difference between, well, not think. I know for a fact that that's one of the main differences between uh, a nine to five and, um, you know, a self-employed or a business owner is there's a different mentality and there's, uh, there's a level of risk tolerance that you have to have. Yeah. Because when you have a job, you know, I work 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, 100 hours, whatever it is, I know I'm going to get paid based upon the work that I did for that company. But your pay is always going to be based upon your position, not so much on your personal worth. So when you decide to create a business of your own, you have to keep in mind and understand, okay, I might have some income coming in. You have to or, you you know, you won't be able to keep the doors open or you're going to have a burn rate for whatever your savings uh, is. You have to basically find a way to monetize before your money has gone or... You and and it's that fear of I don't want to go back to what I was doing because I've risked so much and I've risked everything yeah. to do what I'm currently doing
1: like this. So, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Like and, and this was it. This was it for me. And I was really getting it from all angles because it's like, OK, I have no security financially right now. My family did not did not support me they didn't talk they were they were angry they were disappointed my friends tried to have an intervention with me they said i was crazy i had no girlfriend i had no nothing it was like that's solitude like like you know and i mean i was at the when i opened up i couldn't even afford a floor i had plywood on the floor for like six months, I didn't even have a sign. You know, I didn't. Even, I couldn't afford a sign. The state came. The state. The uh, the town. The uh, uh, I think it was the town of Hempstead. They came down, and they said, "You don't have a sign. You're required by law to have a sign on a place of business. All or, or you're going. You're going to get a fine." Well, I'm like, "Look, here's the deal. I just opened up. You could either find me, and then you'll have no one here, or just give me a couple months, and then I'll, I'll pay for the sign." <laughs> Like, um, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, give me a month and I'll pay for the sign. What, 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 do, you know, what do you want from me? Like, I literally had no help in the beginning. It was horrible. So, like, I mean, working every single day. But what got me through was I, I was passionate about this because I was focused on what I was doing as opposed to the self-proclaimed guru trainer, uh, master trainer, uh, whatever. Like, I, I didn't care about that. I'm like, I just want to train people and, and be left alone. Like, like, like that was it. And that was a
0: vibe that I received from you. And one thing that I can't say when I worked there, I mean, when, when I was training with you, when I first got there, there wasn't a ton of equipment. There was a couple of weights here and there. <laughs> but as time went on, you know, you, you started getting some, um, elliptical, then you start, then you kind of opened up in the back, you got the weight bent. And right. I literally saw that you were invested. You had to have been. All yeah. the money you were getting was... from the few clients that you had, I know for a fact you weren't putting it into yourself. You were literally putting it right back into that right. building. I didn't you take a paycheck
1: you know, for almost three years.
0: Oh, I trust me, I know. I, I, I've been in business, so, I, you know the deal. Could see, so I, I could see what was going on, and that was one of the reasons that I stuck with you, because I knew for a fact there wasn't, if anything, you were hoping to you know stay in the black. Green wasn't even exactly. the question at that time. So... I knew that you were doing this for the passion of what you were doing, not for the paycheck. Yeah. And and you, can, you can tell the difference when you're working for someone who sees you as a dollar sign and not someone who sees you as I'm adding some type of value to this person. And in my opinion, that's how you grow a business. There's a there's certain elements that I, I can't remember them directly offhand, but in sales, there's certain things you have to like the person, you have right. to trust the person, and you have to see some value and what that person is selling you. If you can yeah. do those three things, I trusted you, I liked you, and I saw a lot of value, even though I was suffering through a lot of pain, from working and training with you. So Thank those you. three elements together, I was like, why would I go to, nothing against other gyms, why would I go to an Equinox yeah. or a Gold's Gym or Planet Fitness, where it's, it, it's almost like they're just going in because they have to and they need to pay their own bills, but they're not doing it because they're passionate about helping me. There are people that do, but most are not.
1: And that's what I really loved about training, training you. You were a great client because you asked a lot of questions and we always had these, these great conversations like before, before, during, and and after the training. And that's one of the things at the, at the, at, you know, at, at my facility is that, you know, it's not enough just to, to, to just facilitate the workout like the most important part of, you know training starts in the mind the, the most important part of this is the psychology and for me training is negotiation it's how you negotiate with the limitations in yourself and then you're physically expressing them. So you know yes I have to have a conversation with you I have to see what's literally going on because when I when I train someone right and, and I noticed this with you like for, for instance, let's say we're doing a workout and let's say you have to do let's say 100 burpees right and i say okay you gotta you're gonna do 100 burpees for time and you go as fast as you can for those first 25 you burn yourself out you're having a nervous breakdown head's buried in the <laughs> toilet and it's all right? so it's like so like the regular trainer is gonna say you know oh you're you're a piece of crap uh you're, you're, you you suck you're terrible Uh, you know, or they're going to scream at you and like try to force you, make it worse. But for me, it's like, Hey, like, look, you had a goal here. Instead of implementing a strategy, you like went too hard, too quick. What other parts of your life do you do that? Are there any, do you do this at work when you have a project to finish and you go too hard, too quick, and then you get discouraged and you never finish? Um, is that how you treat your relationships outside of here? Like, th- like, this is like the problem. Like people think that training is, is completely exclusive to the gym, but there's no amount of training inside of the gym that's going to outweigh what you do outside of the gym. And Absolutely. you have to realize that, this, and, and this is what I try to tell my clients, like the skills and lessons that you learn are, are transferable to outside the gym. They should be applied to all aspects of your life. I shouldn't just be paying attention when I'm doing push. I should be paying attention to my body all of the time, you know, like, and that's kind of what I find fascinating. It's like, you know, this, this verbal jujitsu that you kind of have to play with people to kind of figure out what makes them tick. Because again, it's it's not a one size fits all approach, right? Absolutely not. Some people some people need the pat on the back. Other people function great with the disappointed dad syndrome, and other people just like to be shit on. You know, it really it really <laughs> depends. It really depends who you're working with, right? But it's your job as the right. trainer to facilitate that. And that's one of the things I love training with you. Like you were so immersed, like you bought into the you not, not find now I'm not talking about financially. Like you mentally bought into this emotionally. Um, and when you have that, um, y- you know, there is there is a, a you're giving more than you, you yeah, you're giving more than you take on both ends. And I, I think that's right. a great that was a great that was what was great about training you.
0: And so uh, now I know you 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 did your training, so you had some formal training there. You went to you said it was Hofstra. No, Hofstra, what yep. school did you go to? um, to get to receive your certification now i'm a firm believer that training and learning does not learn does not end when you finish school
1: that's right were there what what type
0: of other resources especially in your industry i don't know anything about it uh did you have to take or kind of make that effort to improve your your knowledge base and how to work with clients and different workouts and different routines What were kind of your, what what were your resources (laughs) to figure out, oh, it was basically just trial, not trial and error, but saying.
1: Yeah. So, so for me, so it's kind of a hard question to, to answer because first you have to establish as the trainer. Okay. What, what type of person am I going for? Am I going for athletes? Am I going for rehab type of people? Uh, Am I going for kids? Uh, like youth athletes? Am I going for, um, you know, clients that are very, very uh, sports specific or competition specific? Or am I just going for the people that want to just lose weight and that's it? Am I going for bodybuilders? So once you establish that, that's, that's, that's number one. So I think the best tool for that, um, unfortunately, is to go on the internet um, which always doesn't have the best information, but it's really to kind of go. My resource was to go to other gyms, to speak to other trainers, um, and to deal with as many different clients as possible, so you can kind of get a feel not just for what you respond well to, but what you like training. Um, so the so again, I, I read a lot of. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big reader. Um, I love podcasts too. Those helped me out uh, a lot as well because it was giving me another perspective. Um, I always try to use resources that are completely not yeah that are relatively contradictory to what I already believe.
0: Yes, it's open mind to be open minded to other ideas. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I I think that's important. Um, There's a line there, obviously, but. I always try to use things that maybe, Oh, like, like, what is that? I never heard of that. Let me, let me, let me sit. Um, but the only way you get good as a trainer, um, after school is by actually training people. Cause I could tell you right now, there are things that happen that they do not prepare you for (laughs) in school. As a matter of fact, I, I would say, yeah, I'll say probably about 10% of what you learn in school is what you're going to be able to use in the real world.
0: I think that's in everything. Yeah, absolutely.
1: 100
0: I I went to Georgia Tech for electrical engineering and and minor in computer science. And they literally would tell you uh, everything that you learn now in two years is going to be uh, obsolete or you kind of need to relearn it. Because there's a new version, there's a new way of doing things, a new architecture. So it's like, wait, so you're telling me my freshman and sophomore year are useless? And then my junior and senior year, I might use my first year in my job? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Now, you—I yeah. um, know for a fact that you work with a lot of uh, first responders and a lot of uh, military guys. Uh, you've worked with some, uh, you know, a lot of different athletes. Um, have is there a, a huge difference between how you train them or how they react? Have you found any similarities and and feels and how people are people as people, so it doesn't matter what they're doing.
1: Yeah. So with the uh, yeah. So with the first responders and the military, the military clients that we have, so they have to they have to be placed in very high stress circumstances, and I, and what I mean by that is, you know, we do everything in the gym on a timer. Um, and I know a lot of other gyms do that, but I don't think they're doing it for the right right reason. I, the reason why we do that is because it forces you to make decisions while under stress. And that's really what their job entails, right? right. So what we do a lot of the time with with these first responders and military is we, most of the time, we'll do partner work with them. And we'll say, okay, look, uh, we'll use the burpee example again. Okay, look, you guys got to get to 100 burpees in 20 minutes or less. I'm just making up a number, right? Um, if you fail, your partner has to do another 50 burpees and you watch. Wow. So, right. So, you know, it's, you know, and it's not that they're not used to it already, but they do have to practice this skill of not just negotiating what's going on with them in a high strip, but they also have to worry about this other person. Right. So that's from the psychological perspective, from the physical perspective, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of functional movements. Um, so instead of using things that are ideal, like a barbell, we're going to use something like a D ball, which you know we have like a hundred pound D right. ball, hundred fifty pound D ball. It's it's a very very large rubber ball, like huge, and uh, the re- we use body bags, um, stuff like that, because that's going to simulate. A more of like a body, because look, when you have a barbell, the weight's in a fixed position, it's evenly distributed. Stuff like that is, you know, is going to simulate an actual human being that's moving around, uh, things like that. So it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that's simulating um, what a human body feels like and how to respond during a stressful type of uh, situation and also dealing with civilians who don't have that type of training. Because sometimes what happens, especially with my military guys, it's like, oh wow, here's a bad situation. There's the belligerent, and there's some civilians in the way. Now I gotta, I have to mitigate both of these types of people: someone who's trying to kill me, and someone who's trying not to die. That, right. So you know, <laughs> so so a lot of these, a lot of these these things kind of mesh together, right? Um, so that's that's how I. I hope I answered your question, but that's how I I train.
0: Now, you—I know you said a a lot of your training has to do with just being uh, in person, and sometimes you said you'll go to other gyms to, you know, podcasts, whatnot, to get different ideas. Were there any specific people, rather be online, rather be personal mentors, people you work with, people that you know of? Were there people that kind of had an influence in in you and some of the decisions you made or and just your career in general?
1: Absolutely. Um, Mark Twight, um, probably one of the biggest influences of my life um, ever. So um, those of you that don't know who he is, um, he was a big, uh, he was an extreme uh, alpinist, a, a climber um, shattered a bunch of world records. Um, he is an amazing trainer. He trained a lot of military. Um, uh, he did the, uh, the movie 300. Um, he trained all of those guys. Um, so what was really cool about him, um, he had started with a gym called Jim Jones, um, that, you know, G Y M J O N E S. I, I
0: know what um, yeah mean. yeah so just to clarify. So you
1: know, he he was like, I I really believe he was one of like the really the first guys to kind of explore the psychological aspect of this and focus more on changing people's behavior first as opposed to just the the physical, right? Um and, and I say this all the time, you know, your aesthetics. Or a consequence of your fitness, right? So you don't get the you don't get the six pack first, and then you learn how to do all the all the stuff. You learn the stuff first, and then the the abs are a byproduct of that. You learn how to do the exercise. You learn how to do the nutrition. You learn how to recover and sleep properly. So that was really um, him. And and just as as a, as a quick side story, this is this was crazy when I was in seventh grade. One of my senseis got me the three hundred DVD, the movie, right? Um, so I'm watching it and, uh, there's a bonus disc on there. And on the bonus disc is this guy, Mark Twight behind the scenes showing how he trained this guy, all these guys. And I'm like, I just, from that moment, I became so enamored with this guy. Then I read, I read a bunch of his articles, his books, he's a big writer. And I just loved how he approached everything from this mental and psychological perspective. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing, man. man wow, look at those guys. This is so cool. Wow, look how hard the workouts are. And I think that was another thing he was known for, like this unfiltered, unapologetic approach to fitness, getting rid of all the false guarantees and the promises and the, and the gimmicks. So I watch this. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I could never do that, right? Fast forward, Instagram, social media comes out, right? And I'm following him. The Jim Jones page, I'm following his page. He ends up leaving that gym. I don't know why at the time. He releases a podcast. I start listening to the podcast. He starts talking about a URL on this podcast. I'm like, why does he keep... Ma-? So I look up the URL and there's a shirt you can buy on this URL. But in order to buy, in order to buy it, it's password protected. You had to figure out this password that he was hinting at. I put the password in, I get the shirt, and I get, in, and I get a, uh, another card with the shirt that leads to another episode of a, of a podcast, which led to another website. Long story short, um, he opens up a new gym in Salt Lake City in Utah, and they had a five-person scholarship program where you had to write an essay to go train with him. Right. And... I wrote one of those essays and I got picked. Oh, really? And I got to go train with this guy. And I've been going ever since. I went three or four times. I haven't been able to go because of COVID. Right. But it goes back to kind of what I was saying. This capability thing. I was... Because I went through this process, right? Opening up my own gym, practicing my writing, because my writing really helped me cope with what was going on with my life at that time, because I was alone, essentially, right? Um, Paying attention to myself, focusing on my business, all of these things made me more capable, and it created an opportunity for myself. And I literally got to train with like my idol. Since you were seven years old. Since seventh grade. Right. Seventh grade, okay, seventh grade. Yeah. All right. So I got to train with him, like, yeah. So, uh, and it was it was like a life change. I've, I've been going. I mean, if there wasn't COVID, I would still be gone, I would still be going for sure. That, but, that's um,
0: funny that you kind of bring up COVID because I actually wanted to talk to you about that. Sure. Um, from your perspective in the gym and the COVID, I, I speak to a lot of people from a lot of different industries. Any industry where you have to work with someone face to face, where there's like. Yeah. Not so much physical contact, but there's close proximity of each other. All of sure. those industries have gone through hell for the last year, year and a half. Yep. The gyms had to be especially difficult. I know when COVID started, oh, yes. I, I literally canceled my gym membership because it wasn't open. So it's like, what am I paying for? And, you know, I got some home equipment, the whole nine, just to kind of continuously work out and stay in shape. And because of COVID, I, I can say that... Um, That is a part of my current physical situation, which I am working very hard to uh, eliminate. But how (laughs) has COVID uh, affected you? And I know you've seen and heard a lot of things that there had to be different. I don't want to say legalities, but different situations of what you can open. I know there's a whole thing with, can you just kind of go into that a little bit? Because I've always been interested to hear from someone who's
1: in it. Sure. So I can only speak from New York. Um, What I can tell you is that they were especially hard on the gyms, more so than any other industry. But one of the few industries that didn't receive direct funding, Uh, we were shut down uh, the longest. Uh, We had the most restrictions. And um, what was going on from a legal perspective was insane. So the way New York was kind of opening... He was in phases and in each phase, there were industries. So phase one was, you know, uh, you know, this, these, you know, it's only essential. So it was like, it was uh, hospitals, supermarkets. Then like there was phase two, phase three. We were supposed to be supposedly in phase three. He took us out. the governor had taken us out of phase three with no reason. Everyone else, he explained why not the gyms. Then he put us in phase four, took us out of phase four, and then said you're never – he didn't give us an open date at all. The only industry. Now, prior to this, uh, you could get a wax. Waxing places were open, tattoo parlors, body piercings, strip clubs. And these so you physically you gotta, touch each other. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you got to wonder – there's people getting lap dances, having their pe- their skin pierced, having people on top, massages, having people literally on top of them. But I can't be in a space with someone X amount of feet away. With, you know, like, so what's the deal? So we tried to get so this was so that was like the first thing. So he gave us no open date when then when he finally allowed us to open. The only reason being the industry had to sue him over and over again, just to be able to open. We were closed from March 16th to September 2nd. He would also not release uh, the transmission of COVID within our industry. We had to sue him for that. He held it for five months, I believe. When it finally came out in August, which he should have released earlier, It was 0.006%, I believe, not even 1%. We weren't even in the top 25 for industries that were spreading this the most. And they, and even they were allowed to be open. Oh, wow. So it was, so then, so then when we did open the amount of things uh, that we had to do, the amount of money that we had to invest after not being paid for seven months was absolute insanity. And a lot of gyms, I believe it was one in four, did not make it. I was going to say,
0: because if you if you had those type of restrictions and you also, I know they probably had different regulations. You have to have yeah. this. You have to do this. You have to invest the money. Yeah. It, it, it's almost a roundabout way of closing a lot of the shops without saying yeah. you're going to shut down. We're right. going to make it so expensive yes. that, you, and inconvenient. that you can't survive.
1: And then on top of it, he said we were super spreaders.
0: Even though you, you showed the results of the 0.0. Yeah. So
1: right. So now you have insurance companies not covering you for anything because, because of what was said. Um, then you have landlords trying to evict you because you're a health hazard, purely because of what this man said. And then you catch them, you know, like, like, for, like Chris Cuomo went on about the gyms, how horrible they were. We weren't even open. We weren't open the entire time, but we're still horrible. And then that day, I believe it was his sister-in-law was in a Montauk on Instagram live, doing a yoga class indoors with no masks on. And then selling designer handbags, having a party in there. No problem. So like, like this was like the battle, like the, the, that we were kind of fighting with this. It was like, and then, and then the fines. It started with five thousand dollar fines, ten thousand dollars, went up to fifteen thousand dollar fines. I mean, it, it, it was insanity.
0: I remember you were um, telling me one the other day, like that it was a ten or fifteen thousand dollar fine for separating pens.
1: Yeah, so like you, you have to have your pens separated in two separate containers, dirty and clean.
0: And I know that's only one of many. So how oh, do you yeah. even keep? So how yeah. do you even keep track of them all? Couldn't someone exactly. just come in and be like, oh, you don't have this one? Be like, dude,
1: I didn't even – when I, I did you well, release yeah. that? We had to redo our, our, our ventilation system. We had to put these MERV 13 filters in, which the majority of – unless you have like a, like a Walmart-sized gym, which no one has, that has an HVAC unit that big, a regular standard uh, HVAC unit, ventilation unit, um that most small businesses have can't handle that type of filter. So what was happening was we were complying with the state. We needed an affidavit to prove that it was done by a licensed technician. And after spending ten you know, seven, 000, eight thousand dollars some of these, your thing would break because it couldn't handle the filter. It couldn't handle, right.
0: Wow. So so where are you guys now? Is it in a better situation for the gyms?
1: Well, where we were originally yeah, I mean we're better now, but um, I fear that they're going to uh, shut everything down again. They do not like the gyms. I don't know why, but I mean they are. They have been singling us out from the beginning. Um, they do not like us for whatever reason. Um, I mean, I know, I know, I think I know the reasons, but I mean that's another rabbit hole. We'll save for another day, but. But um, we're we're doing great. And I think to just elaborate, the type of clientele we have at the gym is very, very different than what you see in a regular gym. Everyone right. has been extremely cooperative. I mean, you had gyms where the clients were calling. On, they were calling the health department on them. Then you had clients fighting with each other because... You know, some were vaccinated, some are not vaccinated, or this person was uh liberal and this person was a Republican, a Republican or a conservative. Like, I mean, you know, inter-gym civil war happening. And we did not experience that. And I know these people were experienced because, you know, the fitness industry is now united. There's a coalition and you, you hear the stories, unfortunately. Um, and we didn't experience that. And I think the reason why is because We're extremely selective with who we allow into the gym. And when I moved my location from Franklin Square, that's 700 square feet, to where I am now in West Hempstead, you know, we're at 2,700 square feet now, and I have a staff. Right. And even then... With the bigger space, yeah, we have more people that we can have in and that, but we're still extremely selective with who we allow in. And it has nothing to do with people's skill set. It's more about the mindset. But I really think that's how we were able to navigate through the storm because the client, my clients have been so great with everything. Um, if I needed help no one, with anything, it was great.
0: And in the industry that you're, you're, you're kind of in, are there any – I know there's some that you've actually spoken about. But there are yeah. any common myths about your profession and field that you definitely want to kind of talk about debunk or say, you know,
1: this is sure. the way it is. Um, there's no quick fixes. Sorry. I mean, if, if your listeners want some advice, the quickest the quickest way to lose weight, there's two ways, dysentery and dismemberment. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, you're fresh. you either, you either pop off a leg or uh, get some really, you know, get some water from somewhere that's, not exactly. That has some parasites in it and you'll get lean real quick. Um, so yeah, so no gimmicks, no fat, uh, the fads don't work. Uh, that would be the first thing I would, uh, th- that's the first myth. The second myth is, uh, the most popular, uh, let's say trainers or gyms are not always the best. So don't just, uh, I wouldn't say just don't go to a place because it has a hundred thousand followers. Um, you know i would i would i would that would be the the second thing like I would actually don't look at don't like looking at the gym on the surface is not enough um, right and the the third myth i would say is um uh, how do i how do i say this uh um, don't think that your trainer knows everything. Not gotcha. true. <laughs> that's how, that's how I'll say it.
0: And, yeah. and I will say that most people, know most people do. I mean, and, and I'm a firm believer. If I don't know the answer to something, I'll let you know, you know, I'll get back to you because I don't want to give people false information. But I know there are a lot of people out there that if you try to ask them a question, we yeah. will make something out just to make them sound, themselves sound better and more professional where it, it might actually not be the advice that you need. So I, I can definitely understand that. But a lot of yeah. people do believe you guys know everything when it comes to fitness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So th- that would be – yeah, that would be uh, – yeah, that, those would be my three things to de- debunk right there. And waist so trainers a, don't work. Uh, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I, I never even be- – I never even considered that to be a
0: possibility.
1: <laughs> I have a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, so all this is making me do a sweat a little bit. No, no, I don't uh-huh. think this is actually burning yeah. anything. There's, there's no such thing as um uh, trying to work out a specific body part. Yeah, because otherwise, you
1: otherwise your legs would get skinnier if you if you wear leggings all the time, right?
0: Oh, that's actually a good point. Yeah. So uh, this is a part where I, I try to give uh, my guests an opportunity Let's say you and I were to switch places. You were the interviewer. I'm the interviewee. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would have liked me to ask? Or is there any question that you would have liked to ask me?
1: What was your darkest moment along your journey?
0: Someone actually asked me this question before. And after I answered it and I kind of sat back and thought about it. I realized that there actually was a darker moment. I had actually recorded a a podcast specifically to it that is kind of in my archive, but I'll definitely. It, it was I could say it was almost so dark that I blocked it out that I didn't even think about it when he asked me. So, when I was in Georgia Tech, uh, I I met a lady. We ended up you know getting very close. We ended up getting married. I got married very young at nineteen. And in that time frame, I was uh, I was playing before, I didn't want my mom to pay for my school, so I ended up getting a cooperative education job at uh, Delco Electronics in Kokomo, Indiana. So I was working six months, I would work three months, school three months, work three months, school three months, because at the time, Georgia Tech was on a quarter system, not a semester system. So because I was with uh, my wife at the time, I... The first time I went back, I just, I didn't say anything. I just brought it with me and they found an apartment for us. When I came back to Georgia Tech, they kind of lost my uh, housing paperwork. Um, So Mm -hmm. we were sleeping in a car for a day and then we ended up finding this place. It seemed okay. And we ended up finding out, you know, a few days later after I'd given them my money that it was, um, it was actually a, I guess you could say it was crack house. There were people that were selling drugs downstairs in the basement. They had broken the locks. it was, it was, it was the worst. So. The issue was she didn't want to come to school with me and I didn't feel safe leaving her at school when I went to school. So what happened was that whole semester, I never went to class. So I was never on roll. I never signed up for any of the classes. I literally would speak to my friends. They would give me books. I would go to, you know, study their notes and I would literally just show up for tests. So one day I had a project. I was in a computer science class And I literally waited to the very last moment because I could never go to school and I didn't have the computer. So I'd use the lab. I spent 26 straight hours, no sleep, no nothing. I just went to get food, came back. I was literally working on fumes. So I never went home. I didn't have a phone, so I couldn't call her. It was back in the, you know, 99. So my wife called the school and they had like a citywide and a campus wide search for me. So that day just happened after I took after I finished the, the project, I had a test that day. So I never went home. I went, I took the test. And after I turned my test in, the, the TA was like, are you James Woods? I'm like, yeah, well, the Dean Stephanie Ray, the, the dean of the school, the students would like to see you. So I went to the school, found out she was like a psychi- psychologist, psychiatrist. And I kind of explained the whole situation. They they broke into my room. They empty, They found my checkbook. Got access to my account. Empty my account. I had no money. I was never going to school. So she was saying psychologically, you're not. You shouldn't be stable enough to, you know, completely finish school. So she was gonna give me a clinical draw from school. So she looked at my transcript and she realized. She was like, "Wait, you have all A's in your class. Like you're not even going to school." I was like, "I'm just studying from home, and you know, I I just have this gift when it comes to school. I, I do very well." So I said I'm I'm so close at the end of the school year. I said forget it. Let's just um, let me just finish this semester out. I'll go back to Delco and will we'll reboot and start over. So at this point is where it kind of went downhill. So I contacted Delco. They basically told me uh, you can come here by yourself, or you can stay where you are with your wife. But we have no place for both of you. So because I couldn't go back to that job, then I couldn't pay for the school. Oh, so I ended yeah. up losing the job, losing the school. So then me and my wife ended up, that's how I initially came to New York. So after moving to New York, um, I was, we stayed with her mom and I was giving the money to my wife to give to her mom. She was never giving the money to her. So I had to make a decision, pay the rent or pay for my car. So I wasn't paying for my car. So my car got repo. So I lost my school. I lost my job. I lost my car. Oh so then my ex my my wife at the time basically told me, you know, if you can't give me <laughs> the same lifestyle that I'm used to or what you provided me before, then I'll find someone that can. Oh, my so. God. So then I ended up losing my school, my job, my car and my wife, my ex-wife, you know, left. Um. So after she left, then I know there was something. Oh and then because she wasn't paying for uh, for the house, her mom ended up moving to another place and had to give up the house we were in because she wasn't going to pay for both places and I didn't have the money to pay for this place. So, in literally a 6 month period, I lost my school, my job, my car, my my house that I was staying in and my wife. So, I reached a very very dark place. I not too proud, not proud to say it, but I I actually locked myself in the bathroom. I down like all the medication and the medicine cabinet. I was literally like, I, I can't do this anymore. So that was such a dark period of depression and suicidal thoughts
1: and and what's my life going all that? Say it again. Like 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 what got you out of the? What got you out of? That? So,
0: to this day sometimes i i don't know there was there was one thing it almost sounds mystical people can believe me or not one night when i was in the house i actually had this dream and it seemed so real that if you believe in god or whatever else doesn't matter to me someone in the dream basically came to me in this very bright light and he said something to me say you you know you've gone through all this stuff in your life but it's all for a reason. And in my time, it, it, it was almost like it wasn't a dream. It was almost an out of body experience, where well, I remember it to this day extremely vividly. But I know it's a dream, and I usually don't remember my dreams. So there was a box, and he said, "You're going through all this because I'm trying to prepare you. I've taken everything away from you so that you can start and kind of go back to your roots. Because up until this time, I literally stopped writing. Um, I hadn't written poetry. I hadn't written anything. So." The box, when I went to open it up, was filled with tons and tons of checks. The only is none of the checks were actually made out to me, but they were made from me to other people. So he was basically saying in the dream that, you know, you're going to hit a point in your life where you're going to be providing value to other people in their life. Rather be financially, rather be mentorship, rather be whatever. And for some reason, I actually believe that. And when I I started crying in the dream and when I woke up, I literally was crying in my pillow. And from that day on, I literally had blocked out everything that happened to me from that point before those six months. And I don't know why. I literally believed in my head that I had a different purpose. And then I thought about my mom. Then I thought about my brother. And then I started about the other people. I, I know people said anyone who's ever dealt with suicidal thoughts or depression, it's a very selfish mentality. So people's like, Oh, well, how can you kill yourself? There's all when you're going through it, you're not worried about any of yeah. those people. Yeah. Y- y'all don't matter to me at this point. This is a hundred percent. I'm in my own head. I don't really give flying rip about any of you guys. It's about yeah. me right now. And I don't want to do this anymore. And it's a punk's I don't say it's a punk's way out, but. It's it's literally a quitter mentality where you just give up. And from that point on, over the next year, I'd probably worked 15, 20 jobs. Uh, I started writing again, which was kind of like my release. I actually have a ton of notebooks over there. It's like about this high front, back, every page. I actually cool. became, started becoming very known as the poetry writer because I would go to South Shore uh, Food Court. And I literally, I, I have this, I don't want to say issue but something happened to me as a young kid. I developed this condition where um, I can literally block things out. But it, I did it for so many years that I would block out my, my mind to this day sometimes can't tell the difference between good and bad memories. So I would block out some of the trauma that was happening. But I ended up with black out things that were important. Okay. So there'll be times you and me could be having a conversation. And tomorrow I won't even remember you and I spoke. Okay. Or... You could call me Sunday and for some reason, I can't remember your name. Nah. It always comes back, but there'll be a period of time where I don't know, I'll wake up and I don't know what today I'm gonna forget. It's the weirdest thing. But all that to say is, I've, I've learned to use to turn that curse into a blessing where now I can, if I need, I. the more noise there is, the easier it is for me to go into that world, of that that place of Zen or whatever you want to call it, where I can write. So my stories, i I go into a place where I literally will put on my headphones, I will blast iTunes to the absolute yeah. loudest that it goes. And the thing is, the louder it is, the more noise I have here, the more I can focus and hear. So I literally, when I come out of my trance of writing my poetry or my book, It'll be like an hour or two past. People have been knocking on the door. I've missed 15 phone calls, but my eyes are open, but I'm just not here. And I right. literally will write till, you know, for hours. So that's how I came up with all this poetry. But poetry was one thing that dream it was real or not. It was what I needed at that moment to believe that I had a purpose. And if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be able to fulfill it. Well, so I know, I, it, it was I, it was a decision. It wasn't anything I particular, the,
1: right? I think at the end of the day, it's like suffering is a skill, right? And yes, you know, it, it is, right? It, it and I and I kind of say it in the sense it's like, look, like you have to kind of learn. Not, not. I'm not saying you. I'm saying in, in general. I think everyone, including myself, it's like you know you're gonna eventually reach some adversity and some horrible time, uh, in your life or, uh, eventually. And you have to learn how to like, just ride the wave, but not sink, you know, type of thing. And, you know, there's a, one of the, one of the other questions you asked me, what type of resources, you know, there's a book, you know, I'm sure you sun Tzu: the art of war. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. I,
1: I, I, I love that book because you can literally apply it to anything in life. And I, I, I learned something new from it every time I go back. And uh, there, there's a battle, forgive me, I, I, name escapes me. There's a battle where um, the, there's one army and they're outnumbered by the other army and they don't know what they're going to do. So he, the, the general purposefully placed his army up against a very tall cliff so they couldn't run. Right. And he's like, "Why? well, why, why are we doing that? He goes, because it's going to, f- because you have, you can't yeah, go backwards. You, can't you can't have go back. to go forward. And that was one of the mantras that I really had when I was really trying to open up this gym and just, because you got to, you know, here's the other thing that people don't realize. You start, you start uh, any type of business. You know, there's some businesses where you really don't interact with people on such an intimate basis. Uh, basis. Right. So now I have all this psychological warfare. My family doesn't support me. My friends are making fun of me. I'm all alone. I have no one. I have no money in the bank. I'm eating peanut butter and ramen every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Cause that's all I can afford. Um, and I have to now put, push that down here and not let my clients see that. Right. Absolutely. Yes. For 12 to 15 hours a day. Take the money that I'm getting and reinvest it in my, into my business, knowing that there is no guarantee and there's uncertainty waiting for me. And I don't know what's going to happen. And and Absolutely. this was like another like really defining moment because what happened was we were at the end of my lease with the first place, Shredcore, and you know, eventually we changed the name to Stronghold. Um because our mission changed, like who we were changed. Right. And uh, my boss, uh, my boss uh, the landlord, who was great at the time, said, look, like I'm selling the building. I'm like, you're what? He's like, yeah, you're, I'm selling the building. Like you have to find somewhere to go. I'm like, uh-oh. So I literally found a place um, that was 2,700 square feet. It was the first place I looked at, but I couldn't afford it at the time. Oh, so you ended up going back. I ended up going back. It was still there seven years later. It was still there. No one went in there. Because when oh, I started wow. out in my car, I'm like, all right, let me see. Maybe because I, I was an idiot. I, oh, how expensive could it be? Well, it was really. So, you know, because I'm an idiot. So I, I, I go there. The price had dropped because it was, it was completely destroyed in there. Oh, nobody wants seven I mean, years. It, it had to have. Destroyed. I had less than thirty days to get it up to speed. I threw out almost nine hundred pounds of demo. I had to rip out wiring. It was dis- it was pink and green inside. It was dis- oh my god, it was horrible. So I had it. I, oh my god. So so now I finally get kind of. Situ- I had to uproot myself. I had to go. And then that was like another thing. I'm like, oh my God, are my clients? So again, this self-doubt thing. So like, are my clients going to follow me? It's more expensive now. Am I going to be able to do this? And I was able to do it in 30 days. And uh, luckily I was able to meet my wife um, a Congratulations little bit before- on that. Yes, thank you. A little bit before then. And man, she, she's been great. And it was like... Man, did she come in at the right time? Because, man, was I in a bad place. And I because, you know, when you're alone for so long, it's like, you know, I have no siblings. Right. So it's like I got my dog. Like, that was it. Right. <laughs> I got my dog. Like, that was it. So um, when I met her and, you know, uh, you know, she 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 was helping me. You know, it, it, it was great. But it kind of goes back to that thing. If you, when you have your back up against the wall and you have nowhere to go, it, it's really gonna show you who you are and you're gonna to have to move forward eventually. Otherwise you, you're gonna get, you're gonna get trampled. And that was really like- think, Yeah.
0: And that I think was kind of like my Sun Tzu moment, whereas everything in my past had been eliminated. I went to Georgia Tech, I was working at Delco Electronics and I told everybody, electro engineering, I did not want to do. So when I left Georgia Tech, and I, I, after that dream, I started reevaluating where I was in life and what I really wanted. And I realized the only reason I went to Georgia Tech was because my senior year, I had a physics professor and he was notorious for failing everyone's senior year. So <laughs> ten, notorious. Everyone knew. It was like, oh, my God, I have Coach for senior year. Great, most incredible professor I ever had. And when I first got the final and I started going through it, I was like, dude, I'm about to bomb this final. And for some reason, I went through all the questions, didn't know how to do any of them. And when I went through, I passed through it the second time, something just clicked. And I understood how to answer every one of them. So it was a three-hour final. I finished the whole final in 45 minutes. So I, I gave him the test. He was like, Are you sure you want to go? You don't want to check your answers? I said, I've already triple-checked everything. I'm good. So when you finish your final, you can go home early. It was the last final of the day. So I left. The next day I come in, he catches me in the hallway. And he's... And, gives no good morning or anything. It's uh, hey Jane, let me talk to you for a second. What schools did you get accepted to? And I was like, uh, okay, uh, Auburn University, Clark Atlanta, Rice, uh, Georgia Tech. He was like, I think you should go to Georgia Tech because you're good at math and science. That's how I ended up going to Georgia Tech. So right. <laughs> so it wasn't something I really wanted to do. So when the oper- I don't want to say the opportunity to rise. But when it wasn't a part of my life anymore, the engineering job, I worked in the field. I was able to work on some really cool projects, but I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this for the rest of my life. I'll I'll shoot myself in the face before I do this for the rest of my life. It's for some people. They love it, just not for me. Uh, the car. I mean, that kind of hurt. So I ended up having, I was that story, you know, they say, um, Oh, remember your grandfather told you the story where they walk 15 miles uphill, snow, both ways. Uphill, yeah. well, backwards, I was actually, I was backwards. actually that guy where yeah. I would have to walk to work in the rain in the snow miles. Uh, if you, anyone who's listening to this, who knows Bayshore area, I literally would walk from South shore mall to Deer Park train station every morning for work. I'm familiar, yep. So I would have to walk that distance every day for work because I didn't have the money. I probably could have taken, you know, paid for the bus, but I was saving everything. So I didn't get a bus pass. So I literally every morning wake up super early, walk to work. I worked for Roman Stone Construction where I would have to lift these, I think they were like 45 pound pipes.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And you would have to do the, the, the concrete pipes and they were eight or nine per row, four or five rows. And you would do that for 10 to 12 hours every day, nonstop. So at the end of work, I was completely shot. And cool. there were days cool. after doing that for all those hours, I have to walk home. And then I bought a bike. And so it, it was, I was going through all these trials and tribulations and struggle, but I also realized what I was planning was someone else's dream for me. And it wasn't exactly. something that I really wanted to do. So, when I gave up everything, at the moment, it just hit me all at once. It was like, oh my God, my life is ruined. But when I actually sat back, I was like, if she was going to leave me for this, then she's not a person I should have been with. I went to college for the wrong reason. I, I experienced a job that, after experience, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. And if I stayed in the house, I would have been with her. And it was just, it, I, I just came to the realization after I started thinking clearly that. It seemed dark, but it wasn't as dark. But sure. when I was in it, there was no light whatsoever.
1: And it, 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 it's amazing how insensitive everyone is. I remember when I opened up the, 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 the Shred shredcore location, the first one, right? My mom came to visit. I'll never forget this. And she walks in. I got everything ready. She starts hysterically crying. She goes, oh, my God. She goes. It looks like a barren wasteland in here. What did you do? What, can you imagine? Like you just emptied out your bank account. You just took a huge risk. I'm 22 years old when I did this, by the way. <laughs> and your mom is like, yeah. it looks like a. Ba- I mean, it did, but it was like, you, you know what I mean. So, it, you know, it, the, the, so it was like. I think the only way that you you, kind of get over that is um, keeping these blockers in nonstop and just focusing on the goal. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I this has been a great conversation. One thing that I want to do right now is give you the opportunity, kind of how can people reach out to me, reach out to you? Uh, Rather be social media, rather be phone address, website, whatever it is. And what kind of projects are you working on in the future that you would like people to know about?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So our website is uh, www.thestrongholdgym.com. We're located on 400 uh, Hempstead Turnpike in West Hempstead, New York. Um, our Instagram is, um, underscore, underscore, uh, stronghold, underscore, underscore again. Um, and, uh, in terms of projects, uh, we're working on a, a couple of books right now. I'm um, working on a couple of training manuals right now. Um, okay. where the best way I can explain it, it's where art meets action. Um, where I'm working on a regular, uh, book book. Uh, we're also working on an online uh, training program uh, thing as well. And uh, we're also, uh, we have a bunch of episodes on the, uh, on our podcast, uh, the Unearth <laughs> podcast uh, that we're going to be uh, working on and releasing uh, within the next month or so. And we have a, also our seminar, the Praxis, uh, we have a bunch of those coming up uh as cool, well
0: awesome so what i'll do is uh any information that gives me i'll actually put it up on the site sure. uh and your social media and a website i'll actually when my editor edits a video i'll have it sure. everyone knows i'll have it on underneath your name so people will be able to uh kind of reference it so awesome. i know you kind of spoke about you may have spoken about it maybe change a little bit but this is kind of my signature question is what was your darkest moment and how did you overcome it or was it that gym, or was it something else
1: yeah, so th- I remember the exact moment. It was um, when Governor Cuomo took us out of the Phase Four of the reopening, which was the last phase, and said we were going to pretty much be closed indefinitely. Didn't he give us an open date. Nothing. That's li- oh, yeah. he specifically
0: said indefinitely.
1: Yeah, he he he, he said. These are the phase four industries. We were in them. He took us out and then gave us no open date. The only reason why we were allowed to open on September 2nd is because we sued him. If we didn't sue him, we were not going to be reopened.
0: Oh, wow. How did you kind of overcome that?
1: So as that happened, uh, my mom also had cancer. She was in the middle of doing uh, chemo. So she was extremely sick. So now I have my mom who's like... In excruciating pain, um, my my identity and livelihood has been taken away from me um, under false pretenses. um, And I'm in my parents' basement. You know, we didn't have a house back then. So, like, I'm in this small little room and I just remember, like, like, you know, having my hands on my head. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do right now? Like my mom, my mom's in really bad shape. I don't know what's going to happen uh, because we were closed on the 16th and then my mom got diagnosed with cancer on the 17th. Right. So now I'm like, my mom's sick. I have no job. Forget about the job. The industry looks like it's never coming back. Um, so the way I, honestly, the way I overcame that is by staying I I re I almost had to reinvent myself, and I did that through training. Um, I did that through my writing. My wife was my wife was amazing. Uh, my wife really helped me a lot. She really kept me uh, level. I mean, there was a time I was like, "Hey Amanda, you better get all the sharp <laughs> objects out of the house. Get rid of my shoelaces. Make sure uh, I'm, don't let me uh, go to the third floor of the house. Uh, you know." But uh, <laughs> But, I, but I, so that was like one way I dealt with it. I think the other big way was my clients uh, is really what got me through, yeah. man. They were, it was, it was these, I had clients that were saying, "Stell, if the gym closes, I'll let you use my house for sessions. I'll let oh, you really? use my back. I'll let you use my backyard. Like I wasn't charging them. Because the gym was closed, obviously. And they are like, hey, Stell, look, like, I'm going to donate X amount of money to you for the gym. And I'm like, no, that's okay. No, like, no, like, I want that. Cause I'm like, why are you doing this? Because like, I, want, I want you to be there when this is over. And to know that I had people waiting for me like that. That's what got me through. I'm like, you know what? I have to come out of this better than I was before because it's what's it's what's expected of me from my clients. And I
0: always say this that um, I, I someone asked me this question before, like how I kind of overcome situations, and I tell them sometimes I'm not strong myself enough yep. myself, and it's usually other people rather be family members, people I know are depending on me, people who believe in, you know, my vision of my dream and want to be a part of it. So it seems like that seems to be a focal And a lot of people I speak to answers. Uh, I had one guest who said it was his nephew that kind of support him, uh, gave him that motivation to do it again. You're telling me it's your clients with me as my family, my brother, you know, people in my life. Just to put it out there, there there's always going to be someone that needs you. They may not say it, they may be in a selfish time where they don't wanna speak up for themselves. If you're close to that person or their friend, just kind of reach out and just speak to them and let them know that you're there for support. Because sometimes the one thing that keeps people from jumping off the edge or doing something crazy is knowing that there is someone that supports them. Because in a lot of cases, you truly feel like you're alone. And if you continue to believe you're not alone, you may not be, it's just the people that are supporting you or believe in you, you just may not be saying anything. So, always, yeah. if you have friends, I would highly recommend just kind of reach out to people, especially during a COVID time. Just let them know I'm here. If, I'm here for you if you need me, because that, that goes a long way. It's that butterfly effect. You never know what you do or what actions you take are affecting someone else out there.
1: Yeah. And it, it was really crazy how it kind of came, uh, this whole journey, I mean, it's not over obviously, but it really came full circle. Like I started with nothing. I had, let's in quotes, everything. And then I had nothing again. And I almost had to, I literally had to start over, um, essentially. I mean, I had i had my clients there, but it was like, wow, now we have all these rules in place. I, you know, again, I, I was faced with this uncertainty and guarantee, are they gonna do this again? Am I gonna get fined? Um, you know? So it was, it was really weird how I, I got to revisit the beginning of my journey 10 years later. Um, yeah, this, this has definitely been a
0: pleasure. I, yeah. I got to make it back up to New York cause there are so many people. I know I said I would never live in New York again, but there's so many people up there that have helped like kind of mold me into who I am. Different personalities like yourself, a lot of my best friends that are up there. I still keep in contact. We video call, but it's just not the same. It's you know, saying "be like, you know, you're my guy." Yeah. And I tell, I may not have been speaking to you all these years, but anytime I'm in a conversation has to do with personal training, I'm like, "Dude, there's this guy Stelios, best <laughs> trainer I ever had." I don't know, and I always say, this, "I don't know why I was paying this guy to put me in pain for a year," because we never did the same workout. I never thought it was possible to be sore for a year nonstop. It should stop right. eventually. <laughs> but I had never been in best shape in my life. I literally was on the verge where I was going to start doing some of those Spartan races with you. So it's like that's one of the, so it, it's always a pleasure. I love seeing your success. I know you're going to make it. I know the work ethic. And it's not all about work what ethic. It, it's also like the personality. Work ethic it is, is almost like a prerequisite to success. If you don't at least have hard work, forget about it. But there's a lot more to it, which, you know, you've kind of spoken about today. So um, if there's anything else you want to say, I'll kind of close out.
1: I just want to say uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think what you're doing here is a uh, forgotten art, which is having a conversation. And I don't think uh, enough people are willing to have conversations, especially the more uh, difficult ones, because it's the harder thing to do. So I, I, uh, I commend you for doing this podcast, uh, means a lot.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, thank you. And I'm gonna continuously um, putting out more podcasts and speaking to other people from different industries because people don't realize I enjoy this because I'm learning as much from my guests as my guests may be learning from me. And yeah. also for my listeners, as always, I'm trying to pull out those nuggets from everyone because everyone has a story that everyone else, somebody out there needs to hear.
1: Yeah. So
0: thanks for joining me for this episode of In the Woods. Be sure to sign up to our email list at moreinthewoods.com. That's more M-O-O-R-E, In the Woods, so that you don't miss out on our next episode. And follow us at William Moore, the author on Instagram, and I'm James Woods, also known as William Moore. Thank you for listening.